All right, here we go. Let's go. Let's go, right? Yeah, some people are excited. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate it. Um, welcome to church tonight. If you are uh, new with us here, I'm Daniel Grothy, pastor of New Life Friday Night, and we are thrilled to have you. Um, we are in the seventh week of series going through the book of Galatians. If you're new to the book, Galatians is toward the back of the book, so you can turn to Galatians chapter 4, and what I'll do is I'll read the first seven verses of Galatians 4. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, so I'll read it, and we'll pray, and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul to the people in Galatia. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age... He is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate, the whole estate. Would you flag that phrase in your mind? Although he owns the whole estate, he's no different than a slave. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And so also, when we were underage, so Paul is talking sort of philosophically out here in the abstract but then he says, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship or to daughterhood, that we might become true children. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. I need you carrying a bit of anxiety about this talk, so I need you. <laughs> I must decrease. You must increase. So help us. Teach us. Instruct us. Make us free. Fill us with your spirit. Make us children tonight. We pray, Lord, that these words would race to the very center of our being. We pray that these words would be like a hunter's sharp arrow shot out. Lord, you're accurate. <laughs> you're not throwing stuff around here tonight. You're the God. You know how to just get right to it. And so we invite you to get right to it in all the spaces that you need to get to us tonight. So we pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. I pray tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Have you ever read a long series of books and you're deep in the story, maybe it's five or six or seven books, you know, you've got to... You're just going through them and you're seeing all the nuance and the details and you're enraptured in this literary world. And then 
the movie comes out, right? <laughs> Some people are not bookish kind of people, and you're like, thank God, because I've been wondering what that story's been. So I got 90 minutes that I can give to it. Books with all the nuance and the detail, and you're lingering in the story, and the movie is sort of crunching the whole literary universe into 90 minutes. And, and let's, not, let's not be snobs on either side here. Like, both are great, and both are important, and both are necessary. But Galatians 4, 1 through 7 is Paul kind of crunching the gospel down into a 90-minute movie. This big book, you know, we got, you got the details and all these meandering moments and stories that seemingly... What are they in the scriptures for, and what is God actually up to? Have you ever been lost in kind of the minutia of the scripture, and you don't really know how to locate yourself? Paul takes Galatians 4, 1 through 7, and he goes, let me just tell you the gospel story. So tonight, think of this section as Paul's little punchy parable. It's Paul's uh, little gospel in a five-act play. Galatians 4 is the gospel in a five-act play so how does the drama go, you're asking? Let me take you through the five movements tonight and try to simplify the story just a little bit and trust that the Spirit's gonna speak to us. Act number one, the child is the heir. The child is the heir. Parents, they, they just, they want their kids well. When parenthood is working rightly, you want your people to flourish, and you want them to go farther than you and really far outstrip everything your life has been about, and, and you live just to, to, to dig underneath them and to lift them up and to hopefully send them jumping off of your shoulders out. and Like, you, you just want them well. My dad, I, I, he just had his 14th uh, grandchild, my mom and dad, and dad told me, he said, you know, I used to be David Grothy, and then I became Becky's husband, and then I became Christine and Jessica and Daniel and Anna's dad. And now I'm those 14 grandchildren. I'm their grandpa. I, like, and, and he doesn't say it at all with a shred of, like, like, that's the way life should go. Like, I'm for other people thriving. And I'll lay down my life. If your life can go far, like, I'm, I'm Dave Grothy and I lay down my life to be everyone else's person, right? This is what parents want. And, I remember the other night tucking in Wakely, and he's our youngest, he's nine, and, and he's, I, I want to stay up. And I said, no, you, it's time for you to go to bed. Dad, it's 5.30. It's time for you to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually 8, but <laughs> I could have put him to bed at 5.30. Just, just shut it down, you know, love you. But you just got home from school, go to bed. <laughs> Oh, I'm only slightly kidding. But it was 8 o'clock and it was time for bed. And he goes, it's no fair. You get to stay up late. And I go, dude, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to clean up all your messy dishes. I'm going to throw your dirty underwear in the laundry. I'm going to pack your lunch for tomorrow. And those shoes that I told you to pick up five times that are still in the middle of the room, I'm going to put them on the shelf where you should have put them. And then your mom and I are going to do this. And then we're going to do that. And then we're going to clean up. And then we're going to do It's just like, a, I would love for you to put me to bed and you go pay the mortgage. <laughs> like, I'm going to go do a side hustle so you can have braces and play soccer club and do all of this stuff. Like, my life died so that you can live. And I love it, but don't test me right now. 
go to bed. The child is the heir. Like, all I have is yours. I'm not doing this for me. And if I were doing this for me, I wouldn't have had you. So we signed up to die. <laughs> and it's great. But you are the heir. Like, this, this whole, we're, we run this show so that the three of you can go farther. And so that you can be blessed. And hopefully we'll pass on a legacy of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we love you. And we love you. And we love you. And we would die for you. And we have these little micro deaths all along the way just for you to live. The child is the heir. This story is for you to keep on going. We love you. All we have is yours. And Paul tells us the child's plight in 4 verse 1. He says, as an heir, he owns the whole estate. The child has a future out in front of him. The child has a future out in front of her because the father is good. The child is the heir, act 1. Act 2 but the child isn't ready. <laughs> the child isn't ready. The child still thinks, you get to stay up late and I have to go to bed. And the child doesn't understand how much you're doing to make them go. And the child, it's okay. It's, they, it's not anything wrong. They're just not ready. They're immature. They're undeveloped. They're in a process. Young, young children, what do you do with young children? Everything is explicit command, Right? You don't run with scissors and you don't run with a sucker in your mouth and you, you don't, knives are dangerous and don't run downhill. I, my, if I could just tell you as a parent, the thing that scares me the most is children running downhill on concrete fast because they don't know what gravity does. They just think, I've got a low center of gravity, I'm fine, I'm good. And you take them to the urgent care and there's blood. Like, I hate when kids run downhill. Like, stop it, quit doing that. Don't talk to strangers and, and we build stanchions and safeguards and all these little security nets around them and we, we bubble wrap them in the blessing of good instruction. You can't go near the road and you can't do this and you can't, and it's not because we're trying to be difficult, it's because we want them to, to be well. Like, you don't know what's going to be painful for you, you don't know what's going to get you in trouble, so the child isn't ready, act number two. Paul says this very clearly, that it's just, the child has guardians and trustees, and when I think about this, and when I think about the people of Israel, the people who weren't yet ready, I think about the Torah, what, you know, you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's a beautiful story, and, and the intricate detail, I mean, like, don't do this and don't do that. We often think that it's like some heavy-handed deity in the sky who's insecure and he's got to keep everyone under an iron fist. When I read the Torah, I think about a really loving father with really young children who aren't ready yet. And so how do you get them ready? You get very clear and, and make sure you stay away from this and make sure you stay and, and come over here and this is where the blessing is. And today I set before you life and death and blessing and cursing. Choose life, kids, if you'll... Just trust me that I'm working for your good and draft in behind me in obedience. Act number two, the child isn't ready. It's not time yet. So I'll nurture you along until you're ready. I'll be your trustee. I'll be your guardian. I'll make sure that you can get there safely. Act number three, we have all been that child. 
child isn't ready. <laughs> the heirs of the blessing, yes, were written into the inheritance, and God has only ever wanted good for us, but we take it for granted, and we have been immature, and we are unprepared at times. We've been self-centered, and Paul takes it a step further. It's not just that the child isn't ready. It's that the child at times is rebellious. <laughs> the child at times is working against what the Father is doing to bring them into the blessing of the inheritance. And we lift our hands to heaven and we raise the middle finger to the skies and we think we know what's right and we'll tell our own truth and we'll live our own story and we'll, we'll grab the apple. And it just, it, we, it just, we all have Adam and Eve deep in our bones. <laughs> we have been rebellious. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul says, so also when we were underage. It's not just that child in abstraction out there. No, we were the underage child, and we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. The, the snake slithered up to us just as he did Adam and Eve and seduced us away to other little trees that we thought were gonna be meaningful and other little stories that we thought were gonna pay off, and here we are, we find ourselves kicked out of Eden, exiled and locked out of the garden. Paul says in act, act number three that the situation was separation, that, that, that we, we got sent away because of our rebellion, not because the Father was against us, but we said, we're against you. And it means we get, we, we get out to the edges. We, we get sent away by our own doing. We were trapped in Egypt under the harsh slave mastery of Pharaoh's forces, the elemental spiritual forces, and very often we do it to ourselves. We should have access to the inheritance, but we forfeited it. We, we, we said we actually don't want life on your terms, Father. We could be feasting at the Father's table, but... We've played the prodigal and we've gone out into the far country. We should be enjoying the blessing, but it remains elusive and out of our grasp. This is act number three. Right here in the middle of the story, God sets us up with goodness and God protects us and wants us to, to, to be guarded along the way, but we just kind of, we bristle. We don't want to be under someone else's authority. We want to be our own gods. So it drives us away. We have all been that child, and can we just take a second tonight to name that? We live in a world that doesn't like the word sin. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I'm just experimenting. No. <laughs> no. You, you walked away. No, I'm just living my, I'm just sowing my oats. I'm just, you know, I'm doing this. I'm do we, we don't want to say that we have been wrong. And Paul's like, can we just kind of put that on the table tonight? Can we name that? It's not an invitation to shame. God doesn't wag the finger at us. But, but maturity and growth and wholeness comes on the backside of our repentance. Being able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You had blessing for me and I turned it away because I thought I knew what blessing actually was. And Paul says, we've all been that child. Even so, when we were underage, we were under slavery to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. So what happens next in Paul's little gospel five-act play? Act four, the father comes after his children. God is not okay to just leave us as prodigals. If your child was lost, 
the world stops. Give me my baby back. Give me, I don't care. I don't care if you, I don't care if you disobeyed me and you, like this is your fault. I don't care whose fault it is. You're my child and you're lost. Let's get this baby home, right? Any parent, like the world stops when you want to, God comes after his children. The father is on the hunt. And this is the good news. Could it get any better? God doesn't passively stand by. God isn't aloof and disinterested. God doesn't turn his back and go, oh, let me know how that's working out for you. God stays up at night praying the prodigal home. God is the one who, give me my baby back. Luke 15, the prodigal story. The father is on the porch. He's got this whole estate. He's loaded. He's got servants. He's got huge flocks and herds and, and, and the barn is overflowing with blessing, the father could say, I'm okay. he's not okay. Why? Because his boy is not home and he's standing on the porch and the story says that when the prodigal is walking home from a long way off, the father sprints out and throws a, a sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and kill the fattened calf. My son who was dead is now alive. He was lost and he has been found. The father wants his kids back and he races out to find us. God has more skin in the game than we do, just as every parent has more skin in the game than any child could ever know. Wakely thinks, oh, you get to, no. I am pouring out my life for you and this is all I am about. And, and kids just can't know, but the father is the one who races out to get his children back. Be a good reader of the Bible means that you're paying attention to the little bitty details and the nuances along the way. And the Bible is a literary masterpiece. Have you ever thought about God's first question in the Bible? What is God's first question in the Bible? Because I think it's instructive, actually, to know what the very first question that God asks in the Bible, Genesis 3, 8 and 9, I want you to see this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound. They had sinned. They had gone away. They played the first prodigal. We'll write our own story. Thanks so much for the garden. You can go away now, God. We'll take it from here. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. They hid from him among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Where, where are you? My children, where are you? I miss you. We used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, and now you're hiding, which means communion has been broken, and the only thing I want is communion with you. So where are you? God goes out. And let's just like, like name it here. It's not like God doesn't know. Oh, myself, where did they go? Oh, myself, oh, myself, oh, myself. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Where are they? Oh, my, oh, Holy Spirit. What you, God is not frenetic like that. But do you know why he asks the question? Because it's always better when we as children go, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to come out of hiding you're not going to jerk me around. I think God walks up to the tree behind which they're hiding and, and he, hey, where are you? Can you please come out now? Can we please have our communion back? 
Can we please restore this thing? Like, I'll take care, I love you, I'll take care of you. Will you stop hiding from me? Like, why do you want to be away from me? Where are you? The father comes after his children and he wins us back and he will never stop. He will always pursue us and he will always long for us. God feels this way. One great poet called him the hound of heaven. who flushes us out of hiding to win us back. God cares about your coming home. And Paul says in verse four, but when the time had fully come, the set time had fully come, God sent his son. The father wants his children back. And so what does he do? He sends his only begotten son, born of a woman, born under the law, meaning like he, he gets it, he's human. He's human. He's, he's been tempted just like us. He's walked the dusty roads just like us. He's, 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 want, he's had enemies just like us. And he's born of a woman. He's born under the law. And he sent his son to come get us to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. Come back into the family because I have an inheritance for you. You are my child. I want you in my family. So I'll send my son, who's been in lockstep with me from of old, and he'll go get you and bring you back into that sonship, that daughterhood. He'll teach you how to be the perfect child in the family. He, I want my kids back. Act number five, the father gets his children back. You can run, but you can't hide. Your sin is not more powerful than his mercy. <laughs> Your stupidity is not more powerful than his pathos, his love, his desire, his passion to reclaim you. You can run, but you can't hide. You can try to stiff arm him, but he will wear you out with his kindness, and he is more patient than you are resistant. <laughs> he is more patient than you are resistant. I want. And the father gets his children back. The father gets his children back. And, and I want you to see this here, but God doesn't just change our location. He changes our longings. Like, it's, it'd be one thing if the prodigal story in Luke 15 is, like, the prodigal came home, but then he just barricaded himself in his room, and he just mooched off dad, and he was just eating, you know, kind of the free meal program, but he hated everybody, and he made the family miserable, and home was terrible, and the father and the son never got to have that interaction, and it was just the son using, like, that's not enough. He doesn't just change our location, he changes our longings. And I want you to see here what Paul says in this next verse, because you are his sons or his children, because you're his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were calling out something. But when the Son comes, the Son, Jesus Christ, comes, he sends the Spirit. Jesus sends his own Spirit into us so that we begin to call out, Abba, Father. Just as Jesus would go away into the trees, he'd be healing sick people and raising the dead and feeding the hungry. But Jesus would always disappear and run away, and he would go, Abba, 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 I just long for you and 
I want to be yours. And communion, eternally unbroken. I, I long for Abba. Paul says he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we end up crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Look at this revolutionary reversal. Genesis 3. God calls out. God calls out in Genesis 3 to his children. Where are you? Galatians 4, his children call out, Abba, Father. I'm home. I tried it all. I thought it was going to be better. I thought there was going to be payoff. I thought that I could take my story into my own hands. I thought I could make a meaningful life independently of you. Genesis 3, God's going, where did you go? Where are you? Galatians 4, all I want is Abba. Spirit of the Son, Jesus always crying out, Abba, Father. Jesus always crying out, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus crying out, I I only want to do what I see you doing, and I only want to say what I hear you saying. That same spirit gets implanted into our hearts. We were the ones who walked away, and we went to the far country, and we raised our fists to heaven. But at the end of this five-act play, God gets his children back, and his children get their father back, and they want their father. Abba, he doesn't just change our location, he changes our longings. And this is the good news of the gospel. And I have wanted so many other things in 38 years of my life. I've stayed close, I've tried, and I've been a good Christian kid, all that stuff. I have had longings that have taken me elsewhere. And I have lifted my hands to heaven and said, I think there's a better story out there, I'm gonna go explore. And every time I've explored a different story, it ends in death, it ends in slavery, it ends in getting exiled out of Eden, it ends up being under Pharaoh's forces in Egypt, Like it just doesn't work, but somehow he's merciful enough to always come rushing after me and rushing after you. And he takes us back, but he doesn't just change our location. He changes our longings. And at the end of the story, his people are crying out, Abba, Father, I want you. I long for you. I want to be like your son, Jesus Christ. I want to be a brother or a sister of Jesus because Jesus knows what perfect communion with Abba is. And Paul tells us in the end of this gospel five-act play that God gets his children back and his children get their Abba back. They long to be with Abba. Tonight, I want to ask you this question. Will you invite the spirit of Jesus to awaken the Abba cry in you. It's about as simple as I can make that. We want things, we we ache for things, we have desires and they don't pay off and they end up in bankruptcy and they end up in slavery and they end up in stupidity and they end up in just underwhelming circumstances. But if you will invite the spirit to, to, to raise the Abba cry and let that be your one longing, your one desire until you're standing face to face with Abba in perfect unbroken communion for all of eternity. If you will invite the spirit to, to, to put that desire in you, your life will change and the world will change. And so tonight, will you invite the spirit to awaken the Abba cry in you?
Lord, we need you. And I want this to turn into a prayer time, and I'm not the one leading in prayer. I want you to lead in prayer. I want you to do business with Abba. I want you to call on your Father. Would you begin with repentance? I'm sorry. I was wrong. There are few things more powerful than saying, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Father, we repent for all the times we ran away. All the times we thought we'd find something better out there, find someone better out there. We repent. But now let's turn to thanksgiving and thank him for being the God who hunts us down, the hound of heaven chasing us and and, and drawing us home and getting his children back. Would you begin to thank him for his mercy that outlasts our stupidity? Father, we give you thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If I were God, I would have been done with me by now. Somehow you just wait us out. You draw us back by your spirit. And we say thank you. And now, Lord, would you make it so that our deep and true longing is communion with Abba, our Father in heaven, the one we long for. Church, would you stand with me tonight? I think there's something beautiful and powerful about corporate confession. So before we receive communion, I want us to pray this ancient prayer that saints all over the world in every different language, every different tribe, every different nation, we, we pray this prayer together and it's a prayer asking for God's mercy and for God to change us from the inside out. And so join me tonight in praying this prayer. Most merciful God, We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said. Amen. Church, I have good news from the scriptures for you tonight, that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to send his spirit into our hearts, the spirit that makes us cry. So would you get your communion elements ready? And ladies, could I have one before you? Thank you. If you don't have communion elements, raise your hand and our team will bring them to you. Tonight, I want you to picture yourself seated across the table from Jesus. Jesus 
on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. You can break that little wafer there. And somehow by the spirit, the, the, the church has been saying for 2000 years that when believers come to this moment, that somehow by the spirit, we're sitting in front of Jesus afresh and Jesus is breaking the bread and he's handing it across the table as if it were the first time. This is the God who feeds his people. So Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. You may receive the bread from Jesus. On that same night, Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. You're clean tonight. Not because we're great on our own, but because Jesus is so merciful and God the Father wants his children back. You're clean. All the stupid stuff that we have ever done has been drowned away in the sea of forgetfulness. And God is not sitting up there keeping track of our stupidity. God goes, this is my child whom I love. In this one, I am well pleased. Tonight, you are clean. You may receive the cup of forgiveness from Jesus. Let's sing this song. Let's worship with all our hearts tonight.
Can we go back to that bridge, all hail, Redeemer, hail? I know we changed keys, so what do we need to do there? What do we need to do there? Can we, can we, this key? Okay. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for he has died for me. His praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. That's, that's the stuff right there. So let's lift our hands and let's sing that and shout it at the top of our lungs. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for he has died for me. Come on. Father, I pray tonight over my friends that they would know themselves to be daughters, sons, heirs of the inheritance, bright future in front of them. All that the Father has is theirs. I pray that they would know that deep in their bones and that they would settle into the joy of praying the Abba cry, the Abba Father cry the rest of their lives, the rest of eternity. So tonight, Lord, strengthen my friends. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them and grant them peace, all of their people, peace. Lord, for all of their people, peace. If they have prodigals, bring them home. Let's just stay here for a minute in prayer. Parents who are laying in bed at night with the ache of prodigals in the far country, bring them home. <laughs> Get them back. Get them back. Hound of heaven, go chase them down. Woo them back. Woo them into love. Draw them into the Abba cry again, we pray. Lord, bring the prodigals home. We pray tonight those kids that as they lay their heads on the pillow, I don't care what they've been doing, if they've been out drinking themselves stupid, I pray that they would hear, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. This is my daughter whom I love. Lord, we pray specifically, I want you right now to pray for, if you've got friends that are gone, they've left the, they've left the Father's house, pray for them right now. There's something on this moment, Lord, get them. <laughs> Draw them back tonight. 
run out from the porch and see them from a long way off and kill the fattened calf and put the robe on their back and the ring on the finger and sandals on their feet. My son, my daughter who was lost has now been found. We pray them home tonight. Bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. So Lord, tonight I pray your blessing over my friends and all their people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give our worship team a a thank you for leading us tonight? Excellent work. So good to be in the house of the Lord with you. Our prayer team is coming down now. If you have any prayer needs, we would love to agree with you in prayer. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central. If you want city serve information, go to Guest Central. If you want to sign up for the Bible Crash Course, see Pastor Brett. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.